Whatever you're wearing right now, Mack Weldon is better. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Not only do Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. If you don't like the first pair, keep it. They'll still refund you. No questions asked. I've been wearing Mack Weldon for years. They were the first advertiser on the show. The pairs I have that are three years old, they're still great. Holding up, my wife says it's a flattering cut. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com. Enter promo code BEAUTIFUL at checkout. Hello to everybody who insists on calling it soccer. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. It's Chris Gethard. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. So happy to be here. How would I describe this show if you're a first-time listener? This is the show where I tweet out a phone number and I talk to literally anyone who calls. And it sounds like that's going to be a paper-thin premise, but what happens actually is people all over the world get a chance to put their own stories on record in their own words. It's not, it's not celebrity worship over here. It's the worship of real people with real lives. I'll be going on the road. I got one last set of tour dates to plug. I know the plugs are annoying, but this is my last set of tour dates before the kid comes. And then you won't hear about any more tour dates until later in the year. We got a stand-up happening Wednesday night in Huntsville, Alabama, Thursday night in Nashville, Tennessee, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Atlanta, Georgia. It's my uh, first time in Huntsville and Atlanta. And uh, heading back to Nashville, my first ever club I headlined there. I bombed really hard and sold no tickets at Zany's in Nashville. I'm so happy they're having me back. Last week's episode was Jet Mouth. A lot of people uh, seem to like that one. I noticed that. It's funny, the, the Facebook group, Facebook, uh, Beautiful Anonymous, the community, you guys reacted well, but also a lot more people on Instagram and Twitter who were saying, this is like old school funny episode, man, and it was nice to bring that out, and Vulture wrote that up, so thank them. Thank them for that. This week's episode, I'm very excited to bring it to you. Um, I had Someone had told me at a show in North Carolina, a, a very lovely listener of the show who's Brazilian, said, you have a big fan base in Brazil, so... I said to Jared and Harry, we got to get a Brazilian number and uh, get it going. Now, usually with Beautiful Anonymous, we get about 10,000 calls every time I tweet out the number. 16,000 is the record. We've broken 16,000. Brazil, we got three. So my fan base in Brazil, it's about three people. But it was a great call. Heard about life in Brazil. Heard about the politics of what's happening there. Heard about the day-to-day life. Heard about the way that we think of Brazilians, the way Brazilians think of Americans over here. And uh, it was a very cool call. It does bring up some stuff about a sexual assault. Caller did reach out to me afterwards and uh, just asked me to just note that the caller is aware that survivors are listening. It's not always easy. You're not going to be in a good place. If anybody in your life is judging you for what you went through, caller just wants to reiterate, you can get through it without them. She did it without them. Found friends along the way that she says are more family now. And uh, I thought that was worth it putting out there little addendum, because the caller and I talk about it, and I would say it's uh, it's deep in the call, so maybe it's a little conversation. A caller wanted to just make sure that, well aware it's a serious thing, and I am as well. Getting to the call, I also just want to say, um, next week, you're going to find out some big news coming about the future of Beautiful Anonymous. I'm going to let that one speak for itself next week. All right, enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? 
Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Oh, yeah. I got through? Yeah, you're on the show. You're the only person from Brazil who called. Oh, I was very lucky. I literally just like opened my Instagram and you posted like five minutes ago. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, let me explain to anyone who's listening. So I did a show last week in North Carolina and a very nice um, couple was there. And they run a podcast where they said, I think the podcast is aimed at teaching English in Brazil. And they told me that ah, they, cool. they told me they quote me a lot and they claim that I have a cult following in Brazil. Yeah, you do. It's actually true. I mean, I tell you, I, I am an English teacher. <laughs> this can't be real. Yeah. And I, t I tell my students about your show and everybody I know and people really like it. So it's very fun. If I came to Brazil and put on a show, are you telling me I would actually sell some tickets? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because Brazil is very big. Yes. We would have to think about the city very carefully. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, try to discover, like, if most of the people are from the south or from the north right, or wh right. where are they from, you know? Right. Because, like, I would love to go to your show, but I live, like, in Curitiba, that is south of Brazil. Mm -hmm. And if you do something like in Salvador, that is northeast, although I would love to go, like, only the plane ticket would be, like, 2,000 reais or something, so... Maybe, it would be impossible. So you need to think about the geography, you know? Maybe I'll do a tour. Maybe we'll come, we'll do one Rio show, one Sao Paulo, one Curitiba. Because Curitiba is home yeah. of some very, some fighters, some uh, mixed martial artists that I'm a big fan of. I believe it's the home of the Shoot Box Academy. Are you a fighting fan? Do you yes, like? it is. Yeah. Vanderlei uh, Silva. Yeah, and actually, the gym I go to, one of the box teachers, he just fought on like the last UFC. Really? He lost, but he, yeah. What's his name? Oh, God. I don't remember his nickname because his name is Marcus, but his nickname for like the the game, like the, the game of the fight, I don't remember. Wow. That's cool. Oh. Look at that. I, we, we even like we went to the gym to see the fight. It was very fun because gym is usually like a traumatizing place, but then we were there like drinking beer and we had a barbecue and it was very fun. <laughs> It is. I've always heard that Curitiba, a lot of good fighters. Jose Pele, Vanderlei Silva. Uh, I, I believe yes. they, they base their training out of Curitiba. Maybe I'll come do a little tour. Do a show in all three cities. You should do that. I would go and I would tell everybody to go. It would be like almost selling tickets for you. Now, I, I consider myself... Okay, I've been to Brazil. I spent a, about a week mm -hmm. in Rio de Janeiro. Found everybody to be very cool, very relaxed. Um, I do not consider myself any of these things. I consider myself a very pale and neurotic man. So I don't understand why anyone <laughs> would what a pasty-faced freckle boy who's often visibly sad. I'm surprised that I would have any um, traction in Brazil. I think, like, because you went to here, right? What's that? When you came to Brazil, where did you go? Rio. I went. I went to uh, Rio. I stayed in a hotel right near Copacabana. I went to a, a party at a bar up in the favelas. It felt dangerous. Yeah, but very cool. <laughs> so it's because I think uh, most a lot like the U.S. because of the size of the country, like things are different everywhere. 
so although like in he I understand you wouldn't feel at home. I don't. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. weird. It's weird for me. It's a little bit like a different country. So it's like it depends on where you are, but you would be like quite a normal Brazilian if you were like in Santa Catarina, that is a state right next to mine, because they are mostly like European descend descendants, okay. you know. That's what Santa Catarina. So that's where all the sad people are. That's where all the de- <laughs> the de- depressed. The depressed and uh, <laughs> sad people hang out. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah. I'm writing this I down. Think in the south of Brazil, most of the it's where most of the depressed people good. are because, like, we had less sun, less summer. You know. So mm-hmm. okay. Good. No, the I'll temperature drop like to zero degrees. So it's like people are like, oh, it's Brazil, but it's not like sunny and beautiful every day. That's amazing. Okay, so we. The first five minutes were me asking if this is true. You've assured me that there are people who have heard of me in Brazil. I, I feel, I do feel. Yeah. I, I will say the week I spent there came at, came during a very hard stretch of my life. I attribute mm-hmm. my time in Brazil as a as a time that I really cleared my head and and really did choose to get my life back together when I was going down some dark and dangerous roads. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu three to four times a week. I love it. So I f- I do feel. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to say a connection to Brazil but a great fondness for it and an appreciation of what it's done for me. So that being said, it's not about me, it's about you. Welcome to the show. What what should we Thank you. Yeah. What so what what would you like to talk about? Oh my god, that's so weird because like one of the ways I practice English a lot because I am a teacher, it's very weird. I'm an English teacher but my English when I teach, it gets worse, right? Because then I have my students, and they have, like, poor English. And then I start making the mistakes they make. Or sometimes I'm, like, correcting a test, and somebody will write something, like, wrong. And then I start thinking, oh, I think that's the right way to write that. You know, it confuses me a lot. So mm. what I do to practice my English is to speak by myself in English. You know, like, I'm at home doing my things, and I'm speaking in English. And then, because I do that, sometimes, like, I I finish listening to your show, and then I pretend I am on your show. <laughs> like, wow. just, just, just speaking in English, but not, like, alone, completely alone. I'm like, oh, I just listened to Beautiful Anonymous. So what would I say if I was on the show? <laughs> so, this ha- so this situation, it's fair to say, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to hype it up too much. This has been a fantasy that has existed in your mind for a while. You've had fantasy versions of this actual conversation before now. Yeah. This is mind blowing. So weird. This is blowing my mind. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm, good that, I'm happy that you're happy too because I'm very excited. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Well, we're lucky to have you here on the show and I'm psyched to talk to you. So, as I don't know, one of the things I always, there are like two or three things that I always thought it would be very nice to talk about. One of them, I think, the obvious one, being from Latin America, would be kind of the immigration issues that you have in the U.S. a mm-hmm, lot. Mm-hmm. Another one would be education, and because I work as a teacher, and I actually went to school to be a social worker, so it's something that is very near and dear to my heart. And um, the last one is a bit more complicated for me to talk about, but now I go to therapy, so I'm feeling better about it. That is about uh, sexual abuse, assault, because that happened to me once. And I think, like, people, although people talk about it, I think sometimes the perspectives are not what I would like them to be, you know. 
So those are the three topics I think would be very nice to talk about, but you can choose one because I would love to talk about any of them. Well, I bet we can I bet we can get I bet we can get to at least a couple of them, if not all of them. And I'm happy to happy to start wherever you'd uh wherever you'd like. Mm. Okay, I think I would like to talk first, you know, going one feet in the water at a time about the immigration thing because it's actually I have a very weird not funny, just weird and sad story about it. Because I don't know if you remember what happened in Haiti, like the earthquake mm-hmm. it happened there. So a lot of people, but I mean a lot of people from Haiti came to Brazil because it's close for them to come. So a lot of them came. It was like huge. I even at a time I was at college and I speak a little bit of French. So I was like a I was working as a translator to help some kids, some students. It was very hard because they don't speak French. They speak Creole, but it's similar language. So we could like talk kind of. And I mean, the, I, uh, I am not saying that the people that say like no immigrants are right, but every country does that. So here in Brazil that we have so many people that live in the U.S. right now, like if you go to Miami, it's basically Brazil. It's weird. Like every single person that is rich in Brazil moves to Miami. That's what <laughs> happens. And then here in Brazil, where people are like moving to Europe and to the US and they're trying to get their visas, people were complaining that the people from Haiti were coming here. You know? It's like everybody complains. It's so weird. It's like, oh, they're coming here and they are taking our jobs. And this government sucks because it's all allowing them to come. And I'm like, dude. Come on, you know, you, you want to do the same thing. You know, if you had the opportunity to move to Italy or to whatever, you would go. What are you talking about? The people that have better reasons, let's say, to move, you know, because they lost everything there. It's different than like me being comfortable here and then deciding to move is very different than somebody that lost everything and being like, oh my God, I need a place to call home. Yeah, it's, it is, it's a worldwide issue the amount of people that are moving um it's it's really it is something that i think on a fundamental level i wish i wish i wish people no matter what their opinions are i wish people would take a little more time to differentiate refugees because like you said haiti was destroyed an unlivable place and that's a humanitarian crisis and it feels like, and, and, you know, there's this whole idea in the States right now that there's these caravans that they call these people, you know, they call these groups of people heading north mm-hmm. caravans. And um, they've been really demonized. And when you read up on it, it seems that most of these people are coming from countries where they're fleeing persecution and those are refugees. And that's not, that's not people trying to work any sort of system or, or um, take, you know, take from what take from a pot that they don't have a right to reach into. These are people under real duress. And it seems like the fact that they don't get a little bit more of a consideration that involves some some empathy and humanity is really pretty pretty dark, I think. Yes, I mean, it, sometimes I think like it's such, the word is such a bad place right now. And people are very... 
not ignorant. I forgot the word in English, but they just think about themselves, you know. Selfish. They're not like, if I wasn't that, yeah, selfish, thank you. Of course. If I was in that situation, you know, where my country was destroyed, I, I would want a place to go. And uh, when I was in high school, I did like my exchange program in the U.S. I lived in Minnesota. And I had a family, I had three families, because it's like how the program works. And one of the families, they are like hardcore Republicans, and I love them. You know, they treat me very well. I was very much a part of the family. And then when some immigration stuff started getting hard, like very hard on Facebook, and people saying they posted something that was very harsh. And then I wrote it down like, well, I, I really hope that if someday something happens, you know, to my country and to my family, I have a place to go, you know, that, that you guys would receive me. And then they were like, oh, I am sorry. I was never talking about you because I know you. you know, so I think it's the ignorance is that, and then again, that's why I like your show because then you meet other people, you know, and then that person will never be like anybody. I mean, they're Republicans, they're complete and they're like hardcore ones that they are against the immigrants. But when they talk to me, that I would be in a, as an immigrant in a situation to, if I moved there, they would receive me in their house and they would help me because they know me, you know? Yes. It's interesting. I really feel that doing this show has taught me in a massive way. And being lucky that my job involves so much travel has also taught me in just such a profound way that you can think of any person on earth as this faraway theoretical person. But 10 times out of 10, when you talk to a person in their, on their turf or you strike up a conversation with someone at a bar, everywhere in the world it turns into that. Of like, oh, but you're a real person. Okay, you're cool. And it's like maybe everybody's just kind of a real person trying to live their life, be happy, feed their family. That's what everybody ultimately wants. There aren't really large groups of people that are dedicated to being boogeymen. Most people just want to like... Mm -hmm hang out and eat good food and have a drink and take care of their kids. Like, that's what human, That's what being a human is. Yeah. I think most people just want to be home. Yeah. You know, we always think about, like, especially the richest countries, they think, like, hey, people want to be here and have such a good life as we do. And that's so wrong because, first, most of the rich countries today, they are rich because they took all the money from the other countries, you know. Like, in Latin America, like, all the money that Portugal and Spain and European countries have, they took it from us. You know, they took our gold and our land and everything. They destroyed everything. And it was like, oh, we can't have money here anymore. Oh, now you are free and independent and, you know, you can do your thing. So we start from, like, a very bad place instead of from a very good one as a country, as a culture. Mm -hmm. So first, I think that's one thing that they never talk about. It's never like, well, we have adapted to all these countries where we took everything from. And the other thing is just people don't want to get away from their houses. You know, people want to be home. I have uh, a couple, they are like one of my best friends, and uh, she has a green card. But when you have the, the green card, you need to go to the U.S. every year or you lose your green card. So they moved to the U.S. just so she could get her citizenship and come back to Brazil. She doesn't want to be there. She just doesn't want to be like every single like vacation she has from work, she has to go to the U.S. You know, she doesn't want to do, spend all her money, all her traveling always to the same country. And then they are there and they had a baby and they are very lonely, you know, mm -hmm. like they want 
they want to be home. They want to be close to their friends. They want to have people that could babysit their babies. They don't want to be there, you know. And I think most people don't, you know. Some people make that decisions, but people from every country. I, because I'm an English teacher, I worked with plenty of Americans that moved to Brazil, you know, and they're living here now. And that happens, like, because some people identify better with one culture than the other, but that's the exception. The rule is, like, if the person had a good country, you know, a safe place to come home, she would be home. She would not go go away. Agreed. She would travel, but not move. Agreed. Can I ask you as an aside, growing up in Brazil, you said you you lived in Minnesota for a while. Yeah. How'd you one like... One year. My last year of high school. <laughs> how'd you like that first winter? That Minnesota... Minnesota winter. That's <sighs> that's a hard winter, even by... I grew up in the Northeast where winters are, are rough. I remember I once did stand up in Minneapolis in February and I couldn't walk down the sidewalks because they were sheets of ice. Wild. It was insane because like the first two months I was in love because like in Brazil, there's no snow, you know, there's nothing like that. So I was like, oh my God, I'm seeing snow for the first time. And I went skiing. I was like, oh, this is perfect. And then the snow would never go away. So like three or four months into the winter, I was like, Holy shit, like people leave like this? Like, really? <laughs> All the time? Why? You know, most south. But then, past that point of hate, I got used to that. So, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> I, I I was a dancer here in Brazil. I was a ballerina, so I was doing ballet in Minnesota, too. And then I did, um, I was, I would go to the ballet classes, like, literally, like, cold winter, flip-flops, my socks, Shorts and then a very huge snow coat. There's a name for that in Minnesota, but I don't remember. So I got used to it. Like it's freaking cold, and I am using flip flops. Wow, you couldn't give up. Have you ever dreamed more about? Is, is the, the national drink of Brazil? Is it caipirinha? Am I remembering that right? Caipirinha. Have you yes, ever wanted a caipirinha more than when you're four months into? It? Are you just like send me back? <laughs> The feijoada, I want to eat feijoada, drink a cabarina, get me out of this. Snow as tall yes. as a human. Especially the caipirinha, because like in U.S. you don't drink until you're 21, right? You're not allowed to drink. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. Brazil, you are allowed to drink when you're 18, but people here start drinking way earlier than that, and it's not a problem. <laughs> you know, like big grocery stores won't sell you beer every place else you can drink and like... I started drinking when I was 16, but like my fiance, he started drinking when he was like 14. Yeah. And like it's kind of culturally accepted. So then I was in a country, you know, where I couldn't drink. And then my 18th birthday was in the U.S. And like I had this whole plan about going to a party and getting drunk because like it would be legal. Uh -huh. And then I was in the U.S. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, crap. And you're huddled around a fireplace in Minnesota. Thousands of miles from your warm home and drink, drinking uh, drinking Diet Cokes. <laughs> my host mom bought me an ice cream cake an from ice Dairy Queen. Oh, just what, you, just what you want in the middle of a Minnesota winter is ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. That's exactly. But was it from Carvel? Because that's the shit. <laughs> Car Car Carvel's the best. They got these little I crunchy chocolate things in there. It's the best. 
I'm gonna go ahead and pause everybody and say I am passionate about this. Carvel is the real deal. I think it might be a Northeastern chain by and large. So if you're ever in the Northeast, you get Carvel. I don't know if it ever went nationwide, who knows. Now, you know what I just did? I did a free ad for the fine folks at Carvel Ice Cream. So let's go ahead and get some ads where I'll actually pay the mortgage, actually do the job. We got advertisers, they got great things, product services, use the promo codes, helps the show when you do. We'll be right back. Drop is a free app that gives out cash rewards to over 3 million members for the shopping they do every day. Just link your debit and credit cards when you sign up, select the stores you shop with the most, and earn points each time you spend there. Redeem points for gift cards to places like Amazon, Sephora, Lululemon, and many more. Drop is incredibly easy to use. Works in the background to recognize when you make transactions at your selected stores and rewards you for those purchases. Experience is personalized, so you can earn and redeem from brands that are entirely relevant to you and your preferences. And I'll tell you what, I am someone who's become obsessed with points in my life. As a comedian, I travel all the time. I'm always trying to get a little more bang for the buck. And I think Drop, it's so cool. It's uh, They're trying to help you out. I tell you what. I signed up for this thing. It's so easy to sign up. And right away, they make it so easy. You just pick five brands that you use all the time currently, and you're in action. I wish I had known about this sooner. I'd have been picking up those points a long time ago. For a limited time, if you head to the App Store or Google Play, you sign up for Drop using the code BEAUTIFUL, you'll receive a $10 Starbucks gift card right away. $10 just for signing up. Make sure to link a debit or credit card to the app when you sign up to redeem your reward. Go sign up for Drop at the App Store. Use the code BEAUTIFUL. No one really has time to go all the way to the post office. You're busy. Got a lot of stuff going on. That's why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com lets you print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail's ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you even get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Stamps.com has helped me greatly. It has helped my wife greatly. We are both artists in terms of me being a comedian who sends out merch, her being a musician who has sent out merch, it has been a time saver. And I would go so far as to say a, uh, a lifesaver, stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in beautiful. That's stamps.com. Enter beautiful. Thanks again to all of our advertisers, and thank you to Carvel for Fudgy the Whale. Now let's get back to the phone call. Carvel's the best. They got these little I, crunchy chocolate things in there. It's the best. I, I don't remember. I, I think it's like Dairy Queen. Like the oh, place, Dairy Queen. I don't you said that. The... Yeah, Dairy Queen. That's good, too. That's good, too. <laughs> if, if, I got that right, too. Feijoada, right? Isn't that like the big, uh, the big meal with all the meat? Yes. Uh, I stopped eating it's, meat. It's but, one oof. of the biggest. I was still eating meat in 2012 when I was in uh, Hio, and oh, feijoada <laughs> yeah, was good. We have some vegetarian feijoadas, and they are quite good. Okay, but come on, I that's not, not the real I thing. I am not a vegetarian. I am a flexitarian. Like, I avoid meat. Yeah. Like, I never buy it at home, and I eat, I mostly eat meat, like, 
on weekends because it's Brazil and it's very like here people have like feijoada and barbecues and it's not like American barbecues there are hamburgers you know it's like decent good barbecue so it's harder like socially to just like don't eat meat anymore I'm gonna be a problem for everybody so like it just cut like 90% of my meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But 10% for the social part. I, I keep doing it. it, you know. Now, in the States, they have Brazilian barbecues. Rodigio, I think it's called. Is that a thing that exists? Yes. In, with the thing where you flip the thing on the table to let them know you want more meat, and they come around with swords with meat on them and slice you the meat right off? And it not, it's nonstop have, until you opt out? Yes, we have lots of those. Ooh. And Ooh. I went... To uh, Fogo de Show, that I think is like the the one that you have in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I went there. It is in Minneapolis, and then all my family were they're like, "Oh my god, this is so good!" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." You're like thirty like percent of what we have in Brazil. But 30. thank you for the for trying. Solid thirty percent. Okay, you listed a number of topics. We've talked about the state of the world, people traveling, refugees. Tell me about. A so- you're a social worker, you said. You're trained in social work? Yeah, I graduated as a social worker, but I, apart from my internship, I never worked as a social worker because, like, I got back to Brazil and um, I started working as an English teacher because I just got back from the U.S. and I'm, like, fresh. And I worked very hard on improving my English when I was there, you know, so, like, I need to work on this. So I did, like, AP literature, AP English, everything related to the language. The more advanced that I could do, I did it. But I didn't want to be an English teacher. I was like, it's not just because I was in the U.S. for one year that I'm going to be a teacher now. So I went to social work. Uh, but then when I graduated, social work pays poorly here in Brazil. Unless you get, like, a government job, you know, because then we have, like, concursos that you do a test and then you should pass the test, you have like this spot forever in the city hall or the state or whatever, and then you get very good money. But social work pays very poorly. And as a teacher, I make more money. So I just kept working as a teacher. And whenever something on social work would appear, I would be like, hmm, I can't. I I moved cities after I graduated. So I was like completely on my own. I'm like, I need the money. I can't be like making 900 reais a month. That's impossible for me. So then I ended up just teaching. Wow. And it's, I mean, teaching, teaching, uh, teaching a language is still, it sounds like no matter what, it's still something where it's clear you're very dedicated towards helping people, helping the common good. It certainly ties in, I think. Yeah. Now I understand that. Like right after I was done with college, like, because I'm like in the end of my twenties, but I was in the beginning of my twenties, I was very lost. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would be like, oh, I I don't know. I did social work because my actual dream was like, I am going to work for the UN or Doctors Without Borders, and I want to be all around the world, you know, helping people. But I never researched the job before I went to college. <laughs> and after I was done with college, I discovered that they don't hire social workers. They hire uh, social scientists. Oh, that's so that I, sounds I very different. College. That sounds quite different. That sounds quite different. Yeah, here in Brazil, is like the first two years of social work are very similar to social sciences, and then the last two years are the only different ones. But then I didn't have the degree, so I was like, okay, I can't do that. So 
So what I did, like, and what I want to do with my life now is I work a lot. I, besides teaching, I also have, like, kind of a home-based cake and sweets business. And I get a lot of my, all my money together. And when I get enough money, I go and do some volunteer work. Like, so I, I got to do that once because it's quite expensive. And now I'm saving up again, and maybe in a couple of years I can do it again. And, and when I have more money, I can do it like once a year or something. And I may have missed it. Did you say where you went for that? Uh, I went to Cairo. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, why? Uh, it sounds like you wanted to do social work specifically on an international level. Have you ever thought about applying your degree within the borders of Brazil? So, there, I don't know. I feel like um, kind of lost because of this, because it's like this. Social workers are not well paid in Brazil, mm. especially because a lot of very well-intentioned people will go to like non-government places, you know, foundations and things, and work for free, doing most of the work of a social worker, and then they just need the social worker to sign. So I know like part of the fact that this kind of job in Brazil is very bad is because of this very well-intentioned people that ended up ringing for the professional. So I I would feel very bad if I was using like my social work degree to do the job for free and knowing that I would be hurting someone, you know? Right, right, right. I would make somebody's life more complicated because of that. So, like, I, after I moved cities, because I w used to live in the countryside, and there I knew everybody, so it was easier, then I would do more, like, volunteer work, and I would do more things, like, uh, once, I don't know, there was a bus accident with a lot of people from Chile, and they were all, like, illegals here in Brazil, and it was very close to my city, and I speak Spanish, so I was, like, in the hospital for two weeks helping them, but that happened because people knew I spoke Spanish, right? And then here in, in the city I live now, I am like in Curitiba. I am trying to to do that, but I still don't know enough people, and I still don't have like the ins and out of things. So when I have a situation, I will help, and then I am trying to do more. You know, like one of my intentions for this year is like I'm gonna do more as I can. You know, as I have the time to do it. That's very cool. Very cool. Because I'll say, the reason I ask is because I think it leads into some of the perception that outsiders may have of Brazil. Um, and I don't know if this is just because I recently rewatched City of God, which I think is <laughs> one of the great movies that's come out within my lifetime. If you are out there listening and you have not watched City of God, oh my God, is that an amazing film. But it seems yeah. from the outside, I think the outside perception is like, man, Brazil, so fun, beaches, warmth, uh, like the rainforest, like all this beautiful stuff, but also a place where has sections that could certainly use social workers because it seems like, uh, at least from the outside, and who knows, maybe this is just like pop culture perpetuating myths or stereotypes, but a movie like that seems to show that like when poverty does hit areas of Brazil, it can hit pretty hard and fast. Um, I don't know how truthful that is, though, because not everything that shows up in American pop culture is reflective of how everyday Americans necessarily live. Your thoughts? Yeah, so first, like, 
Cidade de Deus, this movie you were talking about, it's realistic about part of the thing in Brazil, but it's not all that we have here. This movie, like, it got out when I was living in the U.S., and people would look at me like, oh, my God. I'm like, guys, I never saw any of that, you know. <laughs> there is that, but it's not all. Right. I, like, I had a boyfriend in Minnesota, and we, we went out, like, for, like, a couple of months. And then his mom was like, okay, if you guys continue dating after, I will pay for you to come to the U.S., but my son is never going to Brazil because I just watched Cidade de Deus, and it's too dangerous. I'm like, oh, come on, it's not that <laughs> <laughs> this would be the equivalent of watching like Goodfellas and thinking like, oh, America is all people like selling cocaine and murdering each other <laughs> and throwing each other in the trunks of cars. That that movie, I, I think it's such a brilliant film, but it it was a, it was kind of an international sensation, I think, when it came out. And uh, it certainly yeah. presents Brazil and the favelas as like a grim, gritty place full of violence and guns. That must not have been the coolest stretch to be in the States. No. And that's, that is true. And if you go to the favelas, it is. But like there are a lot of good people in the favelas. Yeah. But there is like no government in there. I remember we studied this a lot in college in the favela the guy that you will go to if your mom needs a surgery or if you don't have food is the drug dealer. It's like the drug lord, you know, the guy. He owns the place. The government can't go in. And it's a very complicated social thing. And it's like there's no easy solution. So people are trying, like, the military tries to get in the favelas and then they kill people and then a lot of them are killed. And then here in Brazil, I think we are suffering, unfortunately, from the same thing that U.S. is. That is like we have two sides, you know, right and left. And one side doesn't know what it is doing and the other one knows for sure. So then people are like, no, we have to go there as the military. And then there are people like, no, we can't. And then there's no, like, useful discussion about what would be the best way to fix the problem that is way harder than any Twitter or Facebook argument could ever explain. And then I, I could, I can't explain that. It's like way over what I understand. Like five years ago when I was in college, I understood more, but things change and I don't know as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even as a trained social worker, you look at some of the areas of your country that could, that traditionally social workers would be very hands-on and you go, that is, that is complex and hard to sort out, even for someone trained for situations like this. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you need to study way harder and I don't it's a complex problem. You need you you don't need only social workers, you know. You need doctors and teachers and I don't know social scientists and everybody to get together and like how can we freaking solve this? And even you you also need like the police force and everybody has to work together. But I mean I don't know if you know, like, about Brazilian president, that is Bolsonaro. Oh, yeah. And we have a joke here in Brazil that it, it's like this. Oh, the whole planet is like, we can't do worse than Trump. Come on. And then Brazilians is like, hold my caipirinha. <laughs> we can't do worse. <laughs> you know, we can. <laughs> hold and my, we did. The American did version, the infamous hold my beer meme. You have the hold my caipirinha <laughs> meme. Yes. Wow, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, people, from what, you know, from what I've read, very far right and has said some pretty outlandish 
uh, things, it seems, and has some outlandish ideas for policies that are that can be a little scary just reading about them. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I I thought before, that like, oh, Trump sucks. And I'm like, I would get Trump, you know. I would be fine with Trump here in Brazil. <laughs> like, he's bad, but he's <laughs> worse. And Brazil is a very young um, democracy. You know, yeah. we had a few years of democracy, and then we have, like, uh, military regime for many, many years. Yes. So we are, like, it, it's scary because we're not strong enough as a democracy to not be afraid of something else. But I still don't think that he is going to do... I hope he doesn't do too much damage in the next four years of his government. I don't right. think he can. I hope so. <laughs> that has to be scary when, you're, when your country isn't too many decades away from a military dictatorship to have somebody who maybe has overtones that they lean that way. It must feel a little more tenuous. Like, oh, you, we could slip backwards easier than some other places because we're not so far away from that. Yeah, like I am the first like, generation that lived all their lives in a democracy. Like, my mother was not all her life in a democracy. Like, no, I am, like, first generation to do that. So it's kind of weird because it's, it's like a ghost came back. And we're like, oh, like, how does, how did that happen? Let's, like, study some history and try to discover if we are in actual danger. Yeah. Okay, can I ask you two questions about Brazil? As a side. Yes, I, of course. I, I like how we're bouncing from topics and then you're also learning. There's a word. And so I train my jujitsu. I trained for a while at a gym that had many Brazilian teachers. And then I still travel a lot and I, I will drop in on schools around the country and have Brazilian teachers. A lot of the Brazilian people who do jujitsu, they yell a word in the course of like when they get excited. And I don't know what it means. It might be a bad word. Can I ask you what it means? Yes, of course. So sometimes, like, when something exciting happens, good or bad, they'll yell, Poha! <laughs> okay, let me... It's very hard to <laughs> translate poham. Very hard. I mean, the, the actual translation is, like, so, uh, sexual organ, basically. But it would be kind of our version of fuck. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah. It so they're like, shouting fuck. fuck. Yeah, they're shouting fuck. And it seems like it That's can be either, I'm... like, I feel like they yell it when someone does something really stupid or really great. Like, it seems like it can be good yeah. or bad. Yes, yeah, a good example is like in a soccer game. Mm -hmm. If your team makes a very good goal, you say, Pohai, and then if, you know, you get a, <laughs> you get a goal in, like, your, the other team makes a goal, you also say, Poha. So it's kind of... <laughs> It goes both ways. It's all about the intonation, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, if it's laced with frustration or joy, but it's still... you. <laughs> boha! The, the, yeah. <laughs> Brazilian teachers yell it. I mean, legit, all the time. It's the best. I had a feeling it might be a curse <laughs> word. I had a feeling. All right. We have 23 minutes left. I, okay. I, I'm glad we're laughing. I don't want to abruptly cut it off and just turn towards something dark. You did say that there were a bunch of topics you you know have thought about touching upon if you ever got on the show. Um, you did mention that you might want to talk about being a survivor of some sexual abuse. I don't know if that's still something you're feeling if you or if you'd like to keep it more um, you know, 
how, how it has been, a little more philosophical and light. It's totally up to you. Let's go ahead and pause right here. We do that sometimes on the show. Obviously, I want to say, if you've been listening up until now, you can tell things are about to get a little more serious. And uh, for some people, some stuff's coming up. That'll be hard to listen to. So I want to just give you fair warning that that's coming. And, uh, you know, since I've, uh, since I've broken the momentum of the show anyway, now is, I think, a good time to take ads. Let's go ahead and get that going. Use the promo codes if you're so inclined. And uh, we'll be right back with the show. Hiring is challenging. There's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash beautiful. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Think about that. It takes one day to get the job done. It's amazing. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash beautiful. That's ZipRecruiter. Dot com slash beautiful. Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R dot com slash beautiful. Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. You did mention that you might want to talk about being a survivor of some sexual abuse. I don't know if that's still something you're feeling if you'd, or if you'd like to keep it more, um, you know, how, how it has been a little more philosophical and light. It's totally up to you. I think we can talk about that because actually, um, for me, nowadays it's important to talk to people about this and as many people as I can because it was a very complicated situation and actually took me three years to understand that I was actually raped. Wow. Because I had a boyfriend, so we were dating, Right. My mom knew I was dating him. My mom loved him because he was from church. I'm like, oh, my God. And I, would, I didn't want to have sex, and we would have sex. But I, that's the thing. Like, we don't teach kids about, at least where, like, I came from a very, my mom is very Catholic, very traditional. So I was never taught about sex. I was talking about, like, don't don't have sex. So nobody never told me, like, you know, no means no, or like you have a place and like you have a voice and you have a right. But for me, it was just like, I am having sex now. It was very hard because I never liked it. It was very hard to me. But for me, I was just like, well, now, now I am a person that has sex. I'm doing something wrong. And I didn't understand that something wrong was being done to me. You know, I didn't understand the problem of that. Like, and the first times I would like fight it. And then after a while, I was just like, okay, so that's going to happen again. You know, and then I would just avoid being alone with him. So it'd be like, oh, whenever like there were people in my house, I would invite him to come over. And then obviously there was like a huge amount of psychological abuse because I look at it now and I'm like, why, you know? And this is what I see. It's like, I was such in a place with him that I couldn't do anything. Right. I didn't know how to get out of it so once I like I traveled to the beach with my brothers and then I just text him like 
okay, so we are breaking up. Because I couldn't do it in front of him, right? I tried, and then he would, like, go crazy, and he would tell me things, and then I didn't know what to do. So, like, I text broke up with him, and then we never talked again. Like, I saw him, like, years later in, like, one of my friend's wedding. But I never saw him again. We didn't go to the same school. We didn't run in the same circles. Like, so I didn't have, like, to live with him, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And it was very hard, but I didn't understand what happened to me. That's the hard part. I didn't understand I was raped. I just thought it was so weird. And I was like, and then when I lived in the U.S., I will never forget this. So I was taking, like, uh, American history. And there was a poster in the classroom that it was, like, two two different, like, uh, you know, comic, comic, comic strips, but they're not comic. They're just, like, right, like illustrations, yeah. Yeah, thank you. So there was, like, one that is, like, oh, he stalks her. The other one's, like, oh, he takes her home. He breaks him. She invites him in. And then there was, like, one last illustration that was, like, both together. There was, like, he rapes her. And I would be, like, in my history class, and I'd be looking at that and be, like, oh, my God. And it took me, like, a month, like, every class looking at it to understand that I was raped, for me to understand what happened to me. And that that's why, like, now, especially with a lot of therapy and a very, very nice fiancé that always supports me, I like to talk about this to people as much as I can, like, when I am comfortable doing it. Because sometimes I think people don't know that they're going through that, you know? Especially something, because it's not like a guy got me in the street and threw me on the floor. That's what we always see, right? When you talk about rape, you're talking about somebody, even even if it is somebody you know, it's somebody that is forcing it. And you don't understand that sometimes you're just like, you're not in there, and that also means rape. But that's not the situation we generally see. That's why it took me so, like, it took me three years. You know, like, I was with him for five months, and after that it took me three years to understand what happened. And I, I always think, like, if I hadn't go to that city in the U.S. with that poster, maybe it would have taken me 10 years. Maybe I would have needed, like, the Me Too movement to tell me that I was actually raped, you know, that it was not common, that it's not normal to to have that with you. Right. Happen with you, you know. I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I'm really, really sorry. It's very, it's a very weird situation and I think like Brazilian culture is more sexist so it happened like after that I had like years later I had like a boyfriend and I told him that and then he had a problem not with what happened to me but with the fact that I'm I wasn't a virgin anymore and he was like a whole week without talking to me because he needed time to process that you know so it, it, that that's the hardest part because it took me years after I understood that I was raped to be like, you cannot do that. I was the victim. You are not the victim. I didn't do anything wrong, you know. And even if I like I had sex because I wanted it, you still don't have the right to look at me and be like, oh, I now need time to think because you're not a virgin anymore. Yeah, that's uh, that's not good. So you were in a, it sounds like you were in a relationship where you were just sort of emotionally manipulated, kind of beaten down verbally and put in a position many times where it was almost like, okay, can we just get this over with? Cause I know sex is what you want, even though I don't want it. Is that, does that kind of accurately describe? Yes. That, that's, 
basically what happened. Like yeah, that's the, after the first time, like there were like the first few times that was it. I was just like, okay, just I don't care, you know, just do it. That's horrible. That's horrible. I t- I was uh I feel like it's it's hard to talk about for anybody. Guys, I've been I've been I feel like it's like le- it's regarded as less dramatic. I I had a relationship like that with a girl where that happened uh twice where it was just kind of like where I was like, okay, okay, let's just I guess let's do it. But then I I know I felt so horrible. I felt like very uh mixed up and empty inside and that's not good. I can't imagine that happening for years and becoming like a a relationship that's that's something that goes on for a long time that sort of defines part of who you are because you're with that person for so long. It's horrible. Yeah, and and, and that's true because it defined me in many ways and like and it haunts me and now I I understand that it will kind of hunt me forever. So like ah, if I'm seeing a movie or a TV show and there are like strong like scenes. I generally I get sick or I get like migraines. It, it it affects me. That's why I think like disclaimers are so important. Like we are going to talk about that. Then I then I don't see it, you know, because I'm like I, I today I'm not in a good day. Sometimes I am in better days, and it happens. And even like my sex life nowadays. This is anonymous, so that's okay. Like I am engaged and I am together with like my fiance like for five five something years now. And he knows that that uh, sometimes I will go like we will go like for two or three months without having sex because I I can't. I there's a trigger something that sometimes like I don't even know what it is and then like he can't touch me you know. So that's why I go to therapy and I'm working on that and it's getting way better. But it defines me as a person. But not fighting it helps me you know. Not being like oh it never happened to me or I have to be fine. It's like. It happened. It's part of my life. It actually, you know, it changes the way I am. It changes the way I see people, how I talk to people, how I behave. And that's okay. You know, it's not a problem. Now I just have to learn how to change, like, change the way I look at it so it becomes something more positive for me and less negative, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds like it was really hard and uh, and awful, and it's making me very upset to hear that you went through that. Also, sounds like you are so in touch with sort of being in control of the story moving forward and making sure that you are okay with being given the room to manage the effects of it. That it's, uh, I think that's just hearing you say that of like, nope, this is going to have to be okay. Things are going to be on my terms. Now, like there's something badass about that, that I really appreciate hearing. Yeah. It took me some years, but you know, I'm getting there. (laughs) Yeah. I also, I wonder too, I wonder if you would agree with this. Again, the perception from the outside might be wrong. Correct me if I'm just being ignorant, but the perception of Brazil from the outside is like, oh, everybody, it's very sexual. Everybody's on the beach. People wear these skimpy bathing suits. Everybody's partying and drinking. It's a very sexual culture. But also stereotype of maybe being like a, a, a sort of like macho culture, like alpha male culture. And I, I, I can imagine that those, those attitudes can, I would imagine that there's a way where those things might combine in a way that could get very bad very fast, hearing your story. Yeah. And the thing with Brazil is, like, what I told you, like, it's too big. So, like, I was from the countryside. I was for, from the place 
that people would judge what they saw happening in here or São Paulo, and people are a lot more traditional, a lot more religious. And so we have more of the macho part of the culture, but we don't have as much of the freedom, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like that. It's multicultural. It's it's weird. It's it's very weird to talk about Brazil. Like I have a very funny story. Like changing subject just a little. Yeah. On like on like a summer, we went to the northeast. We went to Salvador, me and my fiance, and we were there eating a carajero, like typical food from there, and talking to the owner of the place. And I said, like, oh, so you guys are from Argentina? And I'm like, no, we are from Brazil. In Portuguese, okay. We are from Brazil. We live, like, in Paraná. No, no, no. And she's like, oh, okay. Then, like, 20 minutes later, she's like, no, but you guys are from Italy? And I'm like, no, we are actually Brazilian. So even <laughs> the language is so different. <laughs> Now, from what I understand, and I might be misremembering this, in Brazil, if somebody says, you seem like you're from Argentina, that's not always a compliment to a Brazilian, from what I understand. Yeah, not generally, but this is a very <laughs> nice and innocent old lady. She was okay. not trying to offend us. Because there's Because a rivalry, else, right? Those countries have a real rivalry, I've heard. A soccer rivalry? Because Argentina sucks. <laughs> not Now, everything else. <laughs> what I've heard is that people... He, tell me if I'm right or wrong in, in what I've heard. I've heard that the Brazilians are like, those Argentinians, they think they're Italians, they think they're better than the rest of South America. And the Argentinians are like, those Brazilians, they speak Portuguese, so they think they're better than the rest of South America. And everybody's like, fuck them, no, fuck them. That's what I've heard is what's going on. That's part of the problem. <laughs> the other part of the problem is actually that there was like the golden years of soccer here in Brazil where we have Pelé. And they had Maradona. And Maradona is a, the worst person ever. <laughs> so there was like this huge competition, you know, soccer competition, because we obviously have the best team. I mean, come on, we were five times, you know, World Cup champions. We are the best team. But Argentina, they are always like, oh, no, we are better. And now, if, there, if you have a following in Argentina, now I am screwed. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I do. Back on that, I know? will I hear. Will. I don't know. This may expose Argentinian listeners of the show because I'd heard about this Brazilian fan base, but now I will hear about it. I also have to say, and this is dark, I'm going to laugh at something, and I know that this might be a little inappropriate. You and I have talked about the way that people treat refugees. You and I have talked about a president who's verging on the, on, on the level of maybe being a dictator in Brazil that people are scared of. We've talked about sexual abuse, we've talked about a lot of dark stuff. And I've not heard you get as emotional about any of those things as you did about <laughs> soccer, football, yeah. fitting what my, some yeah. might say is another Brazilian, another Brazilian trope is that you got actually angry and emotional more than any of those things while talking about the state of, of football. Yeah, I think as mo- most Brazilians like soccer and we have like our teams, like our city teams and And all, all of that. And unfortunately for me, like, when I moved to Curitiba, I was like, my rule was, if I find a boyfriend, he needs to cheer for the same thing I do, because I want to go to all the games together. And then, yes, my fiance is from the rival team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So there's some so, tension. Like, a, yeah, but a lot of people like soccer and have their teams, but that's not most of the country. Like, there are a lot of people that don't have teams or that don't follow soccer, like, 
all the leagues and stuff that we have because we do have a lot of them. But then when it comes to World Cup, oh yeah, it's a different problem. Oh, like here yeah. in Brazil, when Brazil plays a game, it's a holiday. Yeah, nobody's going to work that day. I also want to thank you for calling it soccer, which I believe you probably actually roll your eyes at that we call it soccer. No, so I don't because I lived in Minnesota. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Because it is a little weird that we won't just call it by the name the rest of the entire world calls it. Football, right? Everybody calls it football. And it's like, yeah, we already got football, but I think we're smart enough to understand that we could say American football or we could say, you know, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, it's, I get some crap about saying soccer because I just got used to it living in, in the U.S., you know, and now it's hard to lose it. Mm-hmm. Like my boyfriend, he lived for like a couple of months in Austria at, for work and I went to visit him and I met people from a lot of different countries. And then I would be like soccer and I'm like, oh, come on, shut the fuck up. This football. People got very <laughs> upset when it came out. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I mean, there's one country in the world that, and it, it's, it happens to be my country, and uh, we insist on calling it a thing that the rest of the world is not united. I love the World Cup. I, I don't watch, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like the most popular sport worldwide, but in the States, it's much more of like a niche thing. But the world, living in where I live, Queens, New York, which is so many different communities, so many different communities, the World Cup, it's the most fun thing in the world. Because you can always tell when a game is over because you can hear some people start screaming or car, car horns start honking and you're like, oh, I guess Colombia won a game. Oh, I guess uh, I guess that uh, Argentina game's over. You can start to tell because when games are over because you hear people erupting from the different windows and blocks. It's beautiful. Love it. Yeah. It, it's special. I mean, it's I know cool. there's a lot of bad things, you know, a lot of corruption with FIFA and stuff, but mm-hmm. the game itself is so very special. Like, it's it's great. Like, I love it. You And here we are always with friends and then we don't go to work. So it's good. It, it's Those are happy days, you know. Yeah. You know, like uh, me and my fiance, we don't, we don't have like a cable TV or any TV for that matter. We have like just the equipment, but it's always off. In mm-hmm. a corner, mm-hmm. but in pro, for the World Cup, we get the TV out, we buy an <laughs> antenna, and then we see the games. It's like the only time every four years. That's why we have a TV, you know. Yeah, you have to. I get it. I want to thank you for something because we have we have a, a little. We have about six minutes left, but I want to thank you because there's been something that's quietly happened a few times, and you've been so gracious about it, which is that. You're speaking to me about your experience. And I started in this episode saying, you know, people, you go everywhere. People are just people. Like you talk to people anywhere and they're a lot like the people you know. And then there's been a few times where I've brought up, oh, Brazil feels like such a macho culture, sexualized culture. I brought up the favelas. I brought up this and that. And you've done such a good job and you've been so kind to me about reminding me, no, it's a well-rounded country. It's a large country. There's different pockets that live in different ways. And it's, it's, You've been so nice because I've sort of brought up some of what I think are the stereotypes that we think of from the outside of Brazil. And you've done such a nice job and you've been so kind about not getting frustrated with me as you discuss those. I want to thank you for that. Oh, that that's, I think that's what we talked about. Like every place is the same, like in a way that every place is different. So I do that too with other countries. It's not like, oh, I know, you know, I do that too, like. Uh, when I was in Austria, we went to Munich, and then 
we were expecting Germans to be those very hard people, you know, and very rude and unpolite. And they were like the nicest people ever. So, you know, we all have our own blindfolds to other cultures and to what we have access to. And then we ended up, you know, like, you just have to learn and have someone explain to you. I am a teacher, you know. You have to explain things over and over again for anybody to learn. Me, you, everybody else, you know. Yeah. It's not easy to learn anything new, especially the older you get. I teach a lot of adults. I, not anymore, but I used to teach a lot of adults. And adults are very hard because they're the hardest ones to get something new, like the different order of the sentence, like in Portuguese and in English is different, how you phrase things. So for you to explain that to them, it's very difficult. And it's okay. You know, it's part of the process of learning something, a language or about culture, anything. Yeah. You've been, you've been much better about that than I have been in the course of this call. And it's, uh, it's cool. It really is. You let me bring up a bunch of, I, I realized at some point you kept sort of saying the same thing. Don't forget, it's a big country. And I realized this would be like if someone called me up and was like, you're American, right? So you, uh, you do, you just chug Coke and drink hamburgers. Like it, it, it's, it, it's pretty similar, but you've been so cool about letting me bring those things up and then also letting me know the bigger picture. It's cool of you. I mean, I, I am your first caller from Brazil, so, you know, I need to help you out on that. And all your listeners that are not Brazilians. I and guess. before we are done, I, all, I oh. also want to say just for all the Brazilians, I am sorry if I said things that you don't agree with, like something maybe you hate soccer or you are <laughs> one of those very weird few people that are not watching the game or something. And I'm sorry, you know, to eat, it's on. So Always. That's one of, I think that's one of the general tenets of this show to each their own let people be who they want to be let them embrace who they are explain who they are you gotta i also want to say to anyone listening having been there as an american um what a beautiful country full of beautiful people and not just physically attractive people which i will say brazil is full of physically attractive people but also just people who are so kind at least where i went i, I only went to rio which i know i believe that's the biggest city uh, right or maybe Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo's yes. bigger, but one clearly one of the and I think maybe one of the most international cities. I gotta say, everybody wants to buy you a drink, pat you on the back, ask you how you're doing. People are just nice. People are just so nice, and it's a beautiful country, and it's worth visiting, even though our two countries make it extremely hard to get visas to visit one another. It's still worth. Yeah. It. So cool. Yeah, it's like. Just if you come to Brazil and you're not from Brazil, just like be smart, be careful. It's like Brazil is not only extremely dangerous, it's not. It's a safe country, but it's a place to be smart, you know. Just be smart. I'm always tell that to people that are not from here. Like, you can come, you can go wherever you want, but be smart about it. Talk to people, you know, be be careful. Yeah. To not come, please come. It's a good place to visit. I love traveling around my own country. But always, like, maybe in some countries, people don't have to be careful. So it's always good to have, like, to do, like, be careful. No? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I feel I'm a New Yorker, and I feel like anybody who's been to New York, if you're in America, you all know it. Everybody knows. Like, oh, no, it's a big city. Things move fast. Sometimes people see a tourist, and they think maybe there's a they found a little bit of a mark target. Just be as smart as you would be in any big American city. And I, I got the sense you'll be fine. That being said, I'll never forget. I was walking down the beach of Copacabana and did see a preteen boy 
huffing gas from an empty two liter bottle. And that was like, whoa, okay, things get a little, <laughs> things get a little more messed up in the public way around you. You don't know, you wouldn't really see a child huffing gas on the streets of New York. So you could see, yeah, there's, there's some rough edges. There's some rough edges, but what a cool, beautiful place. Yeah. Now, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are things like going on about the baby? Do you uh, feel ready? How are you about that? Um, I'm, uh, I'm psyched. I'm like feeling good. My wife is feeling healthy. Uh, we're eight months. It's, uh, I think more than eight months now, man. So it's really, uh, we're really, I'm just, I just feel very lucky, very blessed, very grateful. And I have very little anxiety, and I'm I'm actually someone who's been defined by a lot of my anxiety throughout my life. So the level of joy and excitement I have is uh, it's a new thing that I, I I don't think I've ever felt before. I don't think I've ever had a stretch where I just feel so lucky and so excited, and that there's all these things that I should be scared about, and I'm just not. It's it's a very eye opening and beautiful feeling. Yeah, and I, I I know I don't know you, but for what I know about you, you know, your patience talking to people, the way you try to see things and try to work hard and like being a better person, I am sure you're going to be like a great dad. It's going to be very good. We'll see. Or I'll fuck it all up. <laughs> Who knows? No, no. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I'll have a lot of love. I know that my kid will experience a lot of love, and I think that's that's the first step. That's the most important part. I, I worked with kids. I am working with like as an English teacher for kids now. And the thing is, like, love your kids, you know? Yeah, I think Don't so. be, like, don't spoil them, but love them. Let them know you love them no matter what. Yeah. And those are the best kids we have at school, you know? Yeah. We know that the, the kids that the dads are, like, good dads and the moms, like, love them. Not, like, perfect, just moms and dads that love their kids. Yeah. It's so clear. And it's- my kid's going to know. My son's going to know I love him. He's going to know that a lot. Now, can I ask you one question? Because we have, we actually, I think, are going beyond the thing. But I'd, rem- I'd be remiss if I didn't ask one thing. Okay. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been doing it for years. I love it. In the States, we all think the Gracie family are like these like infamous fighters. And we've all been told that they're super famous in Brazil. But I've actually heard that in Brazil, people, by and large, do not really give a shit about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. True or false? Uh, kind of true. <laughs> Like, I, I know about it. <laughs> I know about it because I am around a lot of people that like those kind of things. And because I am in Curitiba, so we have a lot of the pocket of this. But in the rest of the country, Brazil is the place for soccer, and that's good. But unfortunately, that means that all the other sports suffer. Even like the female soccer players, you know, all the other sports like, oh, we remember you in the Olympics. Or something. Yeah. What's a bigger deal? Is jiu-jitsu or capoeira a bigger deal in Brazil? Uh, jiu-jitsu, I think, in the south, capoeira in the north. Okay. Cool answer. It was really, really great talking to you. I can't believe it. We only got one other call from Brazil. Oh, no. We got some more. <laughs> we got some more. How many? Eleven? Two. Oh, we got two. We got your call and two other calls. I supposedly have this big fan base in Brazil. We got your, we got three calls total, but it, I'm really glad that you were the I one we talked to. Tell you what I think the problem with the call is. What's that? It's because you put it on Instagram, and I don't think a lot, a lot of people listen to you, but not a lot of people follow you on Instagram. Oh. And also the time you post it, because today is Friday, and Friday people leave work and go straight to happy hour or something. Mostly. All right. 
So uh, it's a harder day to get around Brazilians. You need to do this like at 7 p.m. Brazil time on like a Tuesday well, or Wednesday or something. Thank you for the tips and thank you for being kind enough to help me retain my self-esteem. Very nice of you. <laughs> thank you very much. It was very nice talking to you. Thanks again to our caller. You opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. You told me about so much stuff and uh, also said some stuff that's not easy to talk about. I thank you for sharing, and I bet there are other people out there who have survived similar things to you who really appreciated hearing um, how you have stood up to those things and how you have, have tried to uh, move forward in your life in the wake of them. So thank you for everything, caller. Thank you to everything for Jared O'Connell. Thank you for everything to Harry Nelson, even though I've come to trust you progressively less the longer we work together. Thank you, Justin Linville. Thank you, Shellshag, for the music. If you want to know about me, I'm when I'm going back out on the road, chrisgeth.com. That's where you can find all my dates. Rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really helps when you do. See you next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, a mind-blowing life story of someone who was raised by a murderer. I was born into a very dysfunctional family. My father was abusive in every way possible to all of us kids and my mom, and uh, he ended up uh, you know, fleeing the country with millions of dollars and then was later found uh, in another country. Uh, found because he murdered somebody um, and that's like a part of who I am but it's not like it's a it's a piece but my whole life has been kind of like this one long major fucked up event where what? I am constantly trying to find ways of being kind of still happy and finding good things in life because it's true there is so much good but what yeah. are you even talking about right now what are you even talking about <laughs> That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.